Right, if you've got a Bible, will you turn to James chapter 1, verse 1. We're in a new series called Faith Works. Some of you know the book of James, and you'll know it's about faith and works. See what we did there? Faith works. Clever, isn't it? No, not impressed. Okay. Um, we uh, have spent the last few months as a church with an invitation to reset, and we went through several psalms, many well-known psalms, and then we spent the last six weeks, six prior weeks, working through Psalm 23. And if you've missed all of that because you've been having lots of fun, as you should be with friends and family and holidays, um, you can always catch up with that. But the feedback from people has been that's been an amazing word from the Lord to us at this time to reset. Um, and we really hope you have reset over the summer around friends and family, but have also posed the question, how are you resetting around Jesus? How's that going? Some people have told me it's not gone as they'd hoped it would over the summer. Um, some people have had the opposite experience. But the most important thing with our reset, and we saw in Psalm 23, is to be honest with the Lord, whether we're near or far from him. He just wants us to begin there. Where are we? And we're going to press into this this autumn, and we are looking, per Psalm 23, for the good shepherd to pursue him and encounter him. And if you say, Jason, what's the plan for the church this autumn? You know, we're up and running in here and we're going to carry on doing that. And again, this is an important day for us to celebrate. And I've been saying it for the last few weeks and I'll keep saying it. For all of you who've made it possible for us to continue to regather in the spaces that we used to probably take for granted. Thank you. And this is an important day to look back on. I took a photo of the teams this morning, not to put online. But I keep saying, one day when my, when my grandchildren, I hope they love Jesus and they want to know what Jesus did at this time, I want to be able to pull that photo up as an old man and say, I was there, Sunday, 5th of September, as God's people stepped back into public worship together in a way they hadn't been able to. So thank you. You are making history as we do this. Um, uh, and there is an invitation, I keep saying to it, the, the one about talking about you know, being an old man and saying to my grandchildren, it has become for me the most distilled and reached for metaphor that I tell people. Every time I, talked, I spoke to someone who's the leader of a seminary um, and they were like, how's it going, how's church? And, and again, you quickly get to that. Are you making sense of what's happening? And I said, well, we're, we're resetting. Yes, so are we, that's good. And you trade all these metaphors and stories with people. And I said, here's the one for me I keep sharing for myself and the church. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to look back and say, I missed out on what God did there. I want to tell my grandchildren. And they went, oh, I'm going to use that one. <laughs> and she said, I want to tell my grandchildren. There are loads of times, that would be a whole talk on its own. I could go through the passage in scriptures that remind us, that tell us to remember God's deeds before and to celebrate them so that future generations may celebrate them and share in them as well. So why the book of James? Well, 
preaching, teaching team meet together, we pray together, share together, we review what we feel that the Lord is saying to us. We've been doing that for months and we felt the Lord lead us to this book. It's an amazing book, the book of James. I mean, you're not going to go wrong going through any book of the Bible, are we? It's the Bible, it's God's word to us. But James in particular has got two key things to it. It's got an expression and signposting and wisdom about how to step in and experience the power of God in the most dramatic ways in everyday life. And woven through it is a second thing about how to live as God's people. Now, I think even before COVID, one of the things happening in the Western world was the church was forgetting how to be the church and Christians were already forgetting how to be part of the church. And with all the challenge we've been through, how do we rediscover what it is to be God's people? What does that mean? And for the blessing and the power that God has for us. So that's why we feel that one of the reasons we felt the Lord's led us to James. Um, Ephesians 3, I think that'll appear up on your screen. Let me read this before I start from James. <sighs> this is Paul writing. Um, Though I am the least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is plain of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. You with me so far on that? And do you remember this bit if you've ever read this passage? Basically, what it's all about. The answer to life, the universe and everything. If you've read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is this, not 42, it's Jesus. And everything about Jesus is revealed supremely in one place, the church, the body of Christ. God has no other plan than to reveal who he is through his people. Going to my father-in-law's memorial service yesterday and my daughter in the car and talk about how my, I've mentioned a couple of weeks ago, my Uh, my uncle Peter has just died and he was a Christian and his wife Betty was a Christian and if it wasn't for my auntie Betty who got her friend to invite my mother to church I wouldn't have gone to church and I wouldn't have become a Christian and I said to my daughter I said do you do you you see how that works I suddenly realized I'm talking to my daughter Anna and I said if my auntie Betty had not phoned Brenda Moulding who had asked my mum you wouldn't be in the car with me right now going to, I wouldn't be married to Beverly Clark. It is amazing what God does through his people. He has determined that he extends his blessing and his family through a family. And that's what we're going to lean into this autumn, if you want to with us. The scandal of the gospel is not this. It's not an individual, if people don't accept Jesus on their own, they're going to go to hell when they die. That's not the scandal of the gospel. There are many scandals to the gospel. It might be part of it, but I think the one for our age and this time might be this. You will only ever, you and I will only ever discover the life that we have in the Father hidden in Jesus Christ through his body and his people. God has no other way. And at this time in history, man, does God have something exciting for his church and his people. So, that's the introduction to the series. So let's begin the series. You all ready? Buckle up. James chapter 1 verse 1. We're doing one verse today. 
Three things on one verse. Someone said to me, I didn't know how you were going to do one verse from Psalm 23 every week. And it's been amazing. So we're starting with one verse today. Um, I've done a lot of the preaching the last two months. Sorry about that. But normal service is resumed from this month. (laughs) And the preaching team back from their holidays uh, will be uh, picking up and uh, joining in this with me. James 1 verse 1. Up on your screen. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. There you go. There's a whole lot of interesting stuff about did James do this in epistolary format like the Greeks used to do, but it's probably a Hellenistic greeting. It's fascinating, but you'll forget it in a split second, so we'll move on from there. Um, basically, James was, was, was writing an introduction in the way that lots of people did. But what he writes, oh my goodness, from the, from the first sentence of this book is so astonishing. Are you thinking, you're probably looking at it going, really? Let's see. First thing, James. Now this, all the experts, commentators believe, there were several James in the Bible, weren't there? But this is James, the brother of Jesus, who became one of the pillars of the leader of the early church. That's this James. Yeah, that's the James that we're talking about. Not, Not the two James that were disciples following Jesus. This is the brother of Jesus, who was not a disciple and following Jesus. James. By the way, at this point, it's reckoned that when James wrote this, everybody would go, which James? <laughs> and but at the end of the day, I find it interesting in Aramaic, the word James actually is Jacob, which is like Jacob. But they, somehow they knew the difference. And people go, which James? But by this time of this writing, this James had eclipsed every other James. And they knew which James it was. James didn't need a last name. James. That's a good way to begin, isn't it? Maybe I should do that with my letters. Jason. (laughs) Well, you know that, don't you? Because your email address has got your name in it. So anyway, that would be daft, wouldn't it? A servant. Here's where James begins. Spectacular beginning. The, The word here translated servant is the word doulos. Again, if you've been a Christian a while, you might have heard that. It means bond servant, slave. Actually means a slave. Doesn't mean a down, this is not a Downton Abbey kind of servant. This is a slave. James, a slave, a servant. Doulos is used 120 times in the New Testament, and it is a primary identity for Christians when they explain their relationship to Jesus. Jason, Doulos. Jason, Anna. I'll start picking on people, but I won't. In Acts 2, verse 18, do you know the bit when it says that the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out upon all people? Do you remember that bit? Do you like it? But there's also a special promise in Acts 2, 18, that the Spirit will be poured out upon the doulos, the servants of God. The blessing of the Father 
The blessing of the kingdom and the Father is principally accessed through having this identity and coming to this identity. And we might pause there and think, when you think of yourself, how do you think of yourself and your core identity? You might go, well, I'm British. Maybe you might have some ambivalence about that with Brexit. Sorry to say the B word, but maybe you like it. Maybe you've got some ancestors from somewhere. I like the fact that my ancestors were Irish and Scandinavian. I like to think of myself as part Viking. <laughs> yeah, I do. I mean, I'd fit in, wouldn't I? I've been there. When I get, I'm going to Denmark later in the year, and they say, you fit right in. <laughs> I look Nordic. Um, or is it as a consumer, as a parent? Because scripture says that we are invited to come to a place where our whole identity is centered on one thing and it's as a slave, a servant of Jesus. Strange language, isn't it? Strange to our ears and our culture. Now let's just really unpack this. It's worth it. James is the half-brother of Jesus. Now in John chapter 7 verse 5, if it appears, it might appear, Look at that. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. James didn't believe in Jesus until after his death and resurrection. Scripture tells us. You know what it's like to be in church. My mother was with me, and, and some people tell me this. They go, it's really annoying when you're in church with your relatives because people go, oh, it's, hello, Jason, you, the son of, and you lose a bit of your identity, don't you? Could you imagine being James? Which James are you? Oh, James, the brother of Jesus. How many times is James going to say, if someone says that to me one more time, I'm never going back to church. I am my own person. Yeah? Imagine living with that one. James, the brother of John. So James has not been believing in Jesus. At some point he does. But James has come to a point where he can throw off being the half-brother of Jesus, the brother of Jesus. You'd dine out on that, wouldn't you? I mean, how many free meals and holidays do you think you get for being the brother of... James, the brother of Jesus. Could you do my TripAdvisor review? I mean, a lot of people in our world would use that forever. But James has not only come to believe in who Jesus is, James is completely willing to subsume his identity into being a slave of this Jesus who he grew up with, had fights with, picked their noses together, annoyed one another. And yet James comes to that place. And, and that really made me think of how you and I, we do struggle, don't we, with our identity with Jesus. There is nothing about our identity that cannot be transformed and come to the place where Jesus is our Lord and Saviour and Master. And it's one of the most beautiful things that we learn from James. And do you know one of the reasons it is beautiful, and I think it's beautiful, here's, here's the irony, maybe it's not ironic. James, the brother of Jesus, becomes James, the slave of Jesus. And then through history, he is known as James. No introduction necessary. Isn't that an amazing transformation? That when we come into relationship with Jesus at this level that James did, we find who we really are and are declared 
by everybody else. James is no longer the brother of James. He is just James. James, the leader of the church in the council of Jerusalem in Acts 15. Isn't that awesome? One of the three pillars of the church. They talk about three pillars to the church. Obviously, Peter, Simon Peter, um, Paul, and James, who wasn't even a disciple. Amazing what God does, isn't it? Where am I? Where am I? Oh, so, I said James could have swanned about living off his status. Um, We live in a world that's a bit obsessed with freedom, don't we? Want to be free. Want to make my choices when I want, how I want, where I want. Do you feel free at the moment? As you look around at our news and media, do you feel like we live at a time when everyone is just so supremely free? There's a lot of people going, no. Do we have to read one more report about suicide rates, depression, anxiety, job dissatisfaction, disappointment in life, domestic abuse, drug abuse? It's amazing, the more freedom we have, how the less free we are. With devices made by people spending trillions of pounds to addict us to animosity and hatred. I mean, we've looked at this a bit over the summer. I just can't, some of you just, you told me you switched off the TV, haven't you? It's just too much now. We're not free at all. Martin Luther in the Reformation said that Christians find real freedom. The only freedom is to become a Christian, to become a slave of Jesus Christ and to become rapt, R-A-P-T. It's where we get the word rapture from. It means to be seized. And Martin Luther said, the only free person is someone who has been seized by Jesus Christ. Become a slave. Real freedom is in becoming a slave. Because the reality is, a lot of the time, you and I are slaves to so many things already. We just have to choose what we will be a slave to. And James decided that it was Jesus. So that's the first thing. That's the... uh, individual thing for us that we're invited into so James a servant but then James carries on and he talks about a community identity to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations greetings community the church the body of Christ let me read from you 1 Corinthians uh, 12 and 1 Peter 2 so 1 Corinthians 12 um, Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you were a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Let's unpack, what does this 12 tribes mean? There are so many passages in scripture, I haven't got time in this talk to put them up there, that's at a level or academic level. Who am I? What's my purpose? What's my identity? We are in the age of identity and seem to know who we are less than ever. And again, sociologists, psychologists, specialists say, There's an irony about how we live at the moment with our lives. And in particular, we could probably sum it all with FOMO. 
you'll find my fear of missing out. We're desperate for authenticity and community and relationship and identity, but we have never been more disabled to do the things that community takes. Turning up, being committed, saying no to other things, letting your yes be yes, not a maybe. And we're trained from birth, aren't we? Trained from birth to do what we want, when we want, how we feel. We're not free to be in community. And James is noticing this. James is calling the 12 tribes. It's worth looking at this. Um, the 12 tribes here, it, commentators think that James is speaking literally and metaphorically. At this point, when James is writing, if you know your Bibles, there are no, the 12 tribes don't exist anymore. There's only two left. 2,700 years uh, ago, the 12 tribes were taken off into captivity. Ten of them were assimilated, just occupied and disappeared. Two that were left, Judah and Benjamin, were allowed to go back, and they're the only two tribes that survived. So people listen to this and go, well, there aren't 12 tribes anymore. What are you talking about? So in some sense, it's metaphorical about God's people being scattered in history. And you go through scripture, a big theme of scripture is God always bringing his people back to him because something always happens to God's people, especially at difficult times in history. A lot of them stop being his people and he calls them back. But also there's the belief that it's literal, that somehow God will reconstitute the 12 tribes of Israel. We had 12 Disciples, remember? Twelve, there's the church, the people of God. Um, I sometimes distill this down to a little phrase that I've noticed with people. And, and here is the word, diagnostic. Were you ready for it? I've used that word a lot this summer. How do we assess where we're at with all of this? I've noticed how people will talk about the church. It's a thing, Yeah? Might speak of it well, might go, the, the church. Then they might go, your church. They recognize you are part of it. And then that might be good or bad. <laughs> and then, if they start to engage with it and take part in it, they might go from the church to your church, and they might one day, and I've noticed how people, when they come into our community, sometimes talk about, oh, my church. And if I can catch it with someone, I say, I've never heard you say that before. And they go, oh yeah, this is my church. But then there's another step. Our church. So the diagnostic question is this. With all we've been through in the last year and a half, where are you at with the body of Christ? Where are you at with the church of Jesus? And I'm not just talking about our church. But is it the church? Their church, my church, our church. Because God has only one place for Christians to be, and that's to say, our church. My body, my people, my tribe. And the church, here's another scandal, the church is not something to replace the rest of life. That's called a cult. If the one way to know a cult is, it tells you you don't need your family or your work or anything. Those are called cults. But we probably have the opposite problem most in our Western society. Church is something we go to for something else. 
It's not a thing. It doesn't bring order to anything. It's for a top-up. Or, But the scandal of Christianity, coming back to it, is this. The church is the ultimate choice to bring order to every other choice in life. And let's come full circle back to where I began. That God says, the most he has for you in your relationships, your work, your family, and where you live, are not on your own with him. They're to be discovered with his people. And that's where his blessing for you mostly is. Third thing, the great invitation. I want to finish here. A different passage. I'm going to turn to another passage. So we've had the introduction to the series. We talked about James, a servant. James, a tribe, a community, and the invitation. And, and, and as I was praying, this is sort of part from the sermon and part, if I can be slightly prophetic, which sounds grandiose. In other words, I just sat and prayed and said, Lord... As we're here, as we're returning, as we're finding out who we are in you and as your people, what do you want to say? And this parable came to mind. Uh, Luke 14, verses 15 to 24. Um, Did I print that for myself? Oh, yeah. When one of those at the table heard heard him, heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who'd been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all began alike to make excuses. The first said, I've just brought a field, bought a field, sorry. I'm from Luton. It's one of the few slip-ups I make grammatically. My wife says, I always say new instead of new, and I say brought instead of bought. I apologize. She'll never listen to this, so it'll be fine. Um, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, and I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. And then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town, bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. And then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. This, I believe, is a parable for our time. With everything that we've been through and have yet to go through, there is this opportunity to return to the Lord. He is the creator of all things. He could demand and force us, but he doesn't. Instead, he loves us and invites us. You know, I I spoke a few weeks ago and I talked about the different adjectives that people are using for this time. You know, the great reset, the great pause, the great pain in the butt, whatever you want to call it, yeah? But for God's people, I think it is, amongst many things, the great invitation. This parable with Jesus is available to us today to enter into. 
And Jesus tells that the kingdom of God that he said is close at hand. And this is the Jesus. Again, I've been constantly, not constantly, but apprehended it more than ever. Of the scandal of how Jesus spoke at a time with people with hundreds of years under Roman occupation. Oppressive taxation. And abuse. And poverty. And Jesus' response is not a military overthrow or a change of the political order, but to tell stories and tell this story. And he says, this is what's available then and it's what's available now, the great banquet. And some of you have been Christians long enough. You know the punchline to this, don't you? We come up with excuses. I've got a new car. Sir, I can't make it. And Jesus in this parable even throws in a big one. I've just got married. I mean, that's a good one, isn't it? And we know from the parable what Jesus says. There is, we miss out. We are supremely good at making alibis and excuses to constantly miss out on what God's doing. And then you notice the next level of the parable is people who have less in their lifestyles to use as excuses are more open to God. There always have been in history. And maybe, maybe, let me land with this. After all that we've gone through and will go through, there is an invitation. God is not going to force us. He's not going to make us his slaves. He's not going to force his inheritance on us as his people. But he says, do you want it? Are you tired? Are you weary? Are there things that you are enslaved to? Would you like to be free at the core of who you are to say yes to me and for me to bless you? Because if I do, I promise you it will be like a feast. And have have you noticed with food, anyone had any good food recently? You know, you anticipate it and then you get full and if you eat too much, you get a bit like, don't you? The feast of the kingdom of heaven is different that once we taste of it we want more of it not less of it that's the feast and and I don't know how I found myself praying for today thinking of this time in history I guess maybe feeling the weight of it and just thinking Lord for our church and for me would we hear your invitation and say yes to you because what you have is awesome I have, these last few months, never felt more pain and loneliness and anguish in my life than even when my parents both took their own lives. But I have never loved and felt so close to Jesus. I mean, in a way, like, I feel like, was I ever a Christian before? And realizing that this stuff I've talked about for years is true. The Lord is alive. He is risen. He is here. He is life. He is purpose. He is identity. He is freedom. He is freedom from addiction. He is freedom from oppression. He is freedom from disappointment. He is freedom from pain. He is all of that. And as I say that, you can feel it, can't you? He is Lord. So let's worship and return ourselves to him.
Let's have the team back, worship team back. Let's all stand.